0: Another edition of Muango Spaces where we are discussing excess duties. It's a very important discussion. Last year we were here with Joe, uh, discussing something similar about the rising excess duty, something about inflation adjustment on duty. So it's always a pleasure to just discuss tax issues. I think it's an important time to have a discussion on tax and KRA and all that, especially because today the immediate former KRA Commissioner-General resigns, and now we have a new acting one who's going to hold forth until a new one is recruited. So I think lots of changes happening with KRA and all, especially with the new government that wants to implement new things. It's an important discussion to have so that maybe they can really some of the input that you have to give for some of these things. So for context of today's discussion mostly because a couple of companies reporting earnings and especially EABL, BAT and all. And their revenue is quite impacted especially in the Kenyan side specifically because of the impact of their rapid rise in, in the excess duty rates that has had a significant impact both on the top and bottom line of these businesses. So it's important to discuss and see what exactly is this excess duty they keep citing and how can it make a difference in terms of maybe trying to tone down on the rate of increases of some of these taxes. With that in mind, then we'll add a few tweets to the spaces up here, and then you're able to have a look at some of the impact, at least some of the companies have cited. So I think a statistic I saw from BAT is that last year alone, there was around a 46% increase in terms of excess duties. I'll share that slide also soon. Without further ado, I would want to introduce the speakers. I can see two already boarded, but first I'll start with our co hosts for today, Joe Moniki. Maybe Joe, you can introduce yourself and say what you do.
1: Thank you, Eric, and for having me. And I'm excited once again to be here on Mango Species to simplify taxes with a specific inclination to excise duties and excise stamps, which is a recent topic that has been in the news in the public. And uh, my name is Joe Moniki. As you first said, I am a tax partner in one of the whole majors in the country. But above that, um, I have a keen interest on uh, topical issues on
0: taxes, and so happy to be the co-host for tonight. Thank you. All right. Thank you, No, I think I'll start with Joel. Maybe you can introduce yourself, Robert, and then Frida.
2: Thank you so much, host and co-host, Joe Bojohi of the Head of Policy Research and Advocacy at uh, the Association, Association of Factures. And maybe, well, on that note, I think Joe, the totally good to say a little bit about the AM and what you do. Yes, thank you. So I say that I work with the Kenya's Division of Manufacturers. I'm the head of policy and a party to be hosted here at Work Capitals. Kenya's Division Manufacturers has about a thousand members who are doing value they the registered in the country. Okay. And our main role is to conduct fact-based research and then advocate on their behalf. Once we've done research, we do the data analysis, we do data collection. We do that packaging. After that, then we have a position paper, a policy brief. We have a research publication and whatnot, which we normally share out with the various stakeholders. But 90% of our products go to the government, ministry department, and agencies. Uh, we also intervene at farm level in terms of farm level competitiveness, whereby we look at various utilities like water utilization, electricity utilization, how that both of the sewerage is in companies so that we can assure even to all this circular economy at the sewerage can be evoked that this is put in place. So that has been our space for the last 64 years and we have 14 value of chapters, I like guess, value of sectors, and one in services consulting and then we have cut across the whole country with the seven regions with which we call chapters. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Joe. Now I'll switch to Robert. Maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself and the organization that
3: you come from. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eric, and good evening. My name is Robert Warero, FCPA, partner at the Ichiban Tax and Business Advisory. My background is tax, and I'm also an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. Joe was my very good friend and a colleague, actually, in one of the big four firms. I think we possibly worked with Joe for maybe seven, eight years. So I know him pretty well. And then, of course, like he says, he ventured into oil marketing, and this is where he's been doing tax. It's an interesting space, I would say. A lot of people don't like tax. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said that death and taxes, you can't avoid that. We have to just live with the taxes. Tell us a bit about what you do. We advise clients on their tax matters, and we deal with corporates, individuals, trusts, that kind of a thing. So. On a day-to-day basis, it uh, really is just advising clients on their tax matters, helping clients resolve uh, tax disputes, uh, because as you'd be aware, there's so many tax disputes. At some point, we had about 300 billion shillings worth of tax disputes at the tax appeals tribunal. So that's what we try and do. And then like you have invited us this evening, I also chair the uh, East Park Public Finance Committee. East, East Park, perhaps for the non-accountants here, is a professional body which brings together accountants. So We are about 32,000 of us, of whom about 1,500 specialize in tax. And I chair the tax committee that helps ISPAC engage with the national treasury in terms of tax policy, engaging with national assembly tax policy. And I know we'll be getting into that. So that's really what I do on a day-to-day basis, Eric. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we have to, I'll hand over
0: to Joe as you uh, maybe keep asking questions. Joe, then I can be able to unboard the rest of the two speakers. So let's get started. Thank you, Eric and uh, Robert, for that introduction. Of course, as
1: I uh, mentioned, we worked together for about seven years, some a while back, but uh, very passionate about these tax matters and legislation. As you said he's also a lawyer. Now, as a chair of the Public Finance and Tax Committee of ISPAC, it's a pleasure to have him in our today's uh, mango spaces. I'm sure he'll be more than glad to share a lot of wisdom on this element of exercise duty. But to start off, maybe you can give us a background on what excess duty is. What was the origin of excess duty in Kenya and the initial intentions of levying this excess duty?
3: Thanks for that question. So I think it's important for our listeners to appreciate where excess duty came from. And if we were to go back in history, the excess came from medieval England, where the king owned all the land. So what he'd do is that he'd give leases of the land to the nobles, and they would work the land and get some produce. And out of that produce, the king would take a portion. In fact, the word used then was that the king would excise a portion of that product or produce, and it would go into the king's stores. And so that's where excise came from, where the king would cut a portion of that. And eventually then evolved into a mainstream tool for both revenue mobilization in terms of imposing excess tax on goods. And now, as we are seeing in Kenya in the recent past, we've seen excess duty becoming a mainstream revenue pillar for government. And if you think about it, maybe 10, 20 years ago, excess duty was really, really limited to alcohol and tobacco. But today, and especially given the Finance Act last year, you've got excess duty on jewelry, you've got excess duty on chocolate. You've got excess duty on cosmetics now, and you've got excess duty on SIM cards. So it's really become mainstream revenue pillar. And in fact, if you look at last year's financial outturn in terms of the taxes that KRA collected, excess duty accounted for close to 220 billion shillings, almost 10% of the total collected. So you can see today it's a really important revenue driver. And it then comes in to complement the income tax that a lot of us are paying, it comes to complement the VAT that we pay on consumption of goods and services. I said initially it was designed to be a control tool. And the idea here was that we're going to impose it on harmful products. So we want society not to consume these products. And that's the reason why it's, you'll hear sometimes it's called syntax, because it's supposed to be levied on the quote-unquote sinful things so that people do not consume it. And that's the reason why usually, almost on an annual basis, you'll see excess duty is increased on uh, alcohol, on cigarettes. I would say it's become a very versatile tool for government. And uh, across East Africa, really, if you think about it, even uh, Uganda and Tanzania, they're imposing excess duty on new products, including uh, mobile money. So that's really what excess duty is. Originally meant to dissuade consumption, but now is a mainstream revenue driver for government. Joe? Thank you,
1: Robert. I think you've made the introduction a justice, bringing it back from all the way from the source, the original reason why equities were imposed. I will pick on a job to answer our next question, and this is with regard to excise terms. Now, about a month ago, the CS for National Treasury, Professor Jumona Domu, published a notice that was meant to increase, was proposing an increase of excise stamps price, especially on alcohol and the makeups and cosmetics by over 300% to your job. Why do you think the government took this direction to increase excise stamps by that huge margin? But before that, you can start by explaining to us why government sees the need to have excise stamps in the first place, whereas manufacturers and companies can still pay excise duty Without the terms. Job?
2: Thank you so much, Joe. Indeed, that is very unfortunate, as you've noted, that Kenya Avenue Authority has decided or is willing to make a move to oppose. A deteriorate of 300% plus. You will see that's really lovely, but if you look at the products that fall at all, the non-alcoholic beverages, which do not include fruits, vegetable juices, and bottled oil, sewer package, boil, and, and water. You will read about those beverages. have seen a cost impact on about 267%. If you move again to like now the compounded spirits of alcoholic strength exceeding 6%. Uh, you see it again, an improvement of about 79% uh, from the previous handstand duty uh, to the current stamp duty. This is unfortunate by the government because it is being proposed at the that we are emerging from a dilemma crisis, the COVID crisis that we're emerging from. We're emerging from general elections. There's also the aspect of an upcoming recession. Okay. So, at the seas, we find it is a bit inconsiderate because this have an effect on the customers and also on the producers. For instance, the cause of the implementation of the SBA and cosmetic products, and then subsequent imposition of the stamp duty. you find it becomes uh, impractical because, like now, in this sector, we have various SMEs that are globally worried about, about a very many of them. Find that no additional cost that is being passed on them. And even if previously we could not be able to implement the EGMS detail because of various peculiar results that have been put in place, you find that they're very small cosmetic products and that you cannot even put that stamp duty on. And that the subsequently that is why the whole system has not been brought on them. Again, you realize that this stamp duty. Is being imposed on some cosmetic products that are normally used for medicinal purposes, uh, such as skin condition like albinism, which I, now these people will not be able to access some of these products if a problem-based rate is going to be imposed. And again, what is looking a bit ironic is the cost of collecting the excess which stands at about 10%. And what is expected as revenue stands at around 10%. So you find. The cost of quality staff and the excess staff is higher than what the expected results are on the expected results that are coming. Again, on the competitiveness of the goods that are being manufactured in the country. And we've done an analysis of, like the excess staff across the region. You find right now the excess stamp water does not charge. Tanzania does not charge. Kenya is the one that is charging this. So you find it is punitive at the regional level because we lose our competitiveness. The stamp was initially met to cut the cases of EMC trade. But now it has shown over time that the EMC trade has not been cut. Politicians instance, if give some statistics over the fixed tax terms that were fixed on finished product in October and December 2022. And it shows that in November, we had 170,000. November, we had 700,000 at 7. If you look at December, we had about 2,000, which comes to about 920,000 big stocks. So that means the threat of the the system is supposed to have. As far as the control of the industry is concerned, it has been beaten. And that this, I'm only giving the category of some alcohol products or the spin of alcoholic strength that is exceeding a 6%. And so you find the actual intention or the original intention of having the extra term is not being met Before you proceed, that we have two
0: new guests, so we'd love to introduce them. We have one boy and then you have Frida. So maybe they can say a word or two before we proceed. Boy, maybe you can introduce yourself.
4: Good evening, everyone. My name is Wamboy Mbalire. I work at the Retail Trade Association of Kenya because job went before me. I would say we do what job does or what Cam does for manufacturers. We do the same thing for the retailers. So the retailers in a normal sense of speaking have within the association three specific sectors, supermarket sector, which when you say retail to most Kenyans, that's what they think we also have what we call specialties, everyone who's not in supermarket. That will be the fashion, apparels, optics, books, ETC. And then we also have a food sector that has your restaurants covered in it. So we do the same job that CAM does for the manufacturers is what we do for the retailers, which includes lobbying, advocacy, creating business opportunities, collecting data that facilitate growth in the sector. Thank you very much.
0: Sante, You also have Frida here. Frida, say hi.
5: Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here. I am representing the Alcoholic Beverage Association of Kenya, ABAC, which is the umbrella body that brings together Kenya's leading manufacturers and distributors of alcoholic beverages for adults. So ABAC has been in existence and we exist for quite a while now. We exist to support the alcohol industry by providing training Information and technical expertise to government agencies, consumers, also value chain players, and generally to the society. Allow me to state also that we are a non-profit organization and a membership organization just like what Retrack and CAM is. So I sit in the policy and advocacy committee and really glad to be here.
0: All right. I want to inform the listeners that you can... Be part of the conversation after around like 15 or so minutes, you'll be able to open up. You can send in your questions via DM, or you can also request to speak to a very able panelist. And finally, you can just write your question below the pinned tweet. So over to you, Joe. Thank you, Eric. And uh, I'll draw this question to
1: Frida, being a practitioner in the alcoholic and beverages uh, industry. For those who attended uh, last year's uh, National Taxpayers Day in October, you remember that the president mentioned that KRA has only been able to sell about 2.9 billion excise terms. And the president also mentioned that in his estimation, he expects that KRA should ordinarily have been selling between 10 to 12 billion excise terms annually. To Frida, why do you think KRA has been falling in terms of achieving this expectation from the president in selling the excise stamps? What could be the reason behind this performance?
5: Thank you. Thank you, Joe. First of all, it is to appreciate the fact that what Dr. Wanjohi has just covered right now in terms of the intention of excise stamp really was to secure revenue and also to curb, help in curbing illicit. When this was the initial intention, definitely then it then translates to the fact that stamps then were not intended to be in any way, a revenue generating item for carry, but really to secure in terms of stamps. All said and done also, what then happened in return and what has been experienced over time is a rise in counterfeited stamps across the market on products, some of which uh, have been said to be genuine. And what that translates to then is sale or revenue decline in the planned or expected revenue that would be collected by government, and that then, in re- in return, then challenges the intention and the overall purpose for which the stamps or excise duty was meant to be. The stamps then to secure the revenue. So that say the increase in excise duty over time, and those that have then opted to run away from paying the same, then has really translated then to a drop in the overall revenue that is collected by the government. And just to highlight, maybe just to give a snapshot of the increase in in excise over time, because we experienced, for example, double increase last year in excise duty at 10%, for example, speaking for the ABAC members, 10% in beer, 20% in spirits. That is in July. And then another increase that came about in October, 6.3%, which really then meant that when you look at the last five years or so, the country, that is Kenya, the cost of the excise duty rate has been going up steadily over time, just with one time when we experienced that 4.94% adjustment, that is in the year 2020. So steadily it has been going up and when you cumulatively look at the overall impact that has been by 28.2% increase in excise the last five years. And so the net impact on the consumption products, which is really essentially where excise is charged, meant that the cost of the products would go up. And so people may have resulted to alternatives or gone for products that are not genuine, hence leading to an increase in illicit consumption. Denying government the results and revenue that was expected at that point.
1: Thank you, Frida. And uh, I think you answered that very well. In addition to that, my question would be it appears that uh, the government is not being able to enforce and uh, to beat this counterfeit excise stamp manufacturers and sellers out there. But then it appears the government is using its failure to enforce compliance with excise stamp and the duty regulations and punishing compliant taxpayers by increasing the excise duty rates and the excise stamp prices, while they, in essence, they would have fought the counterfeits and able to recover the revenue leakages out there. What do you think is the case?
5: Okay, I believe that job still to me.
1: Yeah. Yes. So
5: yes, and this has been evidenced with the results that have been declared by, especially the listed companies and those companies that have gone public on their results. You will see that those who can genuinely account for the excess duty that they have remitted is really a small mass compared to what essentially the government would have targeted to be the overall revenue that they would collect from all excisable products, for example. Definitely, and this has impacted heavily on the cost of the product and the general production of accessible products. And I think recently we had one of our member companies, of course, where I work also, in e- EABL, e- 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 just interviewed on the same. And he shared a breakdown of the impact of the overall tax on, for example, beer, which essentially, when you add up all the taxes in a bottle, adds up to about 57%. And when you account, for example, for beer, Tasca, for example, which is 190 then you find that 57% of that goes purely to taxes and that is excise and VAT. So when you look at the overall net impact, then it is heavy on the consumer. It is impacting a few who are the manufacturers who are paying actually this uh, excise duty. Remember, excise is on at manufacturing level and those who are open and genuine about payment and accounting for the same need to be heavily impacted on this. So yes, indeed, it is paining for a few. It is still an increasing burden should the government maintain the same trajectory of increasing excise access on accessible products. And I think the breakdown was very clear. This leaves us with about 30% of the total value that, that is of the 190 left with 30% for which or about, or about 30% and 7% thereabouts where we have now to account for every expense that we have to meet for especially accounting that from beer, including salaries and other expenses. So it is, yes, impacting a few. And the same narrative flows when you look at even be it cigarettes, be it juices, the same narrative we've experienced across board. And I believe KM can weigh on this as well.
1: Thank you. So our next question would go to Wambui, noting that she is here to represent the retail sector industry. And the question for me would be the expected over 300% increment in the excise terms, how do you foresee this impacting the retail sector? And also you can tie that to the Asla narrative, which has been the overriding political ambition for this new political regime. How is this increment expected to affect the retail sector, which includes a lot of us in the country? One boy.
4: Thank you very much, Joe. I want to just say something first to just to add on to what I was saying and to your question on government failing on implementation, and therefore, in my personal view, taking the easier route of continuously adding on to those who are already compliant. Net effect is that we keep hampering the growth of our manufacturing sector, the growth of our agricultural sector, because if we do not facilitate growth and we keep increasing, just listening to the increase that Frida talked about that amounts to 28.2% the last few years, means that our formal sector will have hindered growth continuously. Because when business becomes too difficult, people tend to go out into the informal, and that's how you end up with a lot of illicit in terms of drinks, water, especially water, which is a basic necessity, and the FMC product, uh, defeating the purpose of the excise tax, which was supposed to generate revenue, and answering the question that the president asked in that stakeholders meeting of the difference between the number of people registered by Safaricom and those registered by KRA and KRA's inability to reach out to the rest of the population or to find a way to capture the rest of the population. Because I think if they did that, we would not be having this conversation right now. There would be a bigger group or basket from which a KRA would be collecting its revenue. That said, the impact of the 300% is that our retail sector in this country is 30% formal, meaning we have a 70% informal sector. Which that 70% is actually the hustler nation. Hustler nation, in my view, again, does not facilitate the growth of the country unless we are going to be able in this new government to formalize that population, formalize that 70% retail. If we look at the bigger scope, in the entire Africa, South Africa leads in the formality of the retail sector. They are about at 67% formal. Compared to our 30% formal, we are the second largest retail market in Africa. And it will not grow beyond that 30% as long as we keep hampering the growth of the formal sector through the various increases in tax. When the consumer has limited ability to purchase, so if you put on that 28.2% onto an, or let's just use this 300% increase currently from something that was 100 shillings, that goes up to 300 shillings. That's what technically it would mean. It was one bob, you have this increase that comes in so much more that will increase. What the population then does is move to where they're able to afford, which means it goes back into the informal sector. For various reasons, my capacity to buy is limited. So I'm looking to spread my little money as far as I can which means I'll go to the informal sector, which will break bulk or create an opportunity for say credit facilities, as we see in our mom and pop shops, commonly known as our kiosks, hampering the innovativeness that is created by the formal sector that allows the manufacturer sector to innovate new products because you're giving them the opportunity of a shelf to display a new product. So the 300% will... Diminish that 30% even lower, it will bring down the possibility of increased innovation in agriculture and manufacturing because a formal retail is actually the basis of which the retail and the agriculture and manufacturing sectors will grow. If we remain informal in retail, manufacturing and agriculture will remain where it is because they do not have a basis from which to spring off. So, in my view, If we're going to promote hustler nation, to use a common example of that, I can take 500 shillings and start a business, I do not think that is the way to grow the country. So we need to relook at, from a government point of view, why are we not able to capture the rest of the population that should be in that basket? Why are we not able to implement effectively excise tax to bridge that gap? I remember the examples. The president was giving exactly so about eleven to twelve million stamps, I think in Uganda or Tanzania vis-a-vis our two two million. So to bridge that gap, if truly we are the big brother and have a larger economy, that should be the reverse. We should be at the top of the graph of people connecting the excise duty vis our smaller economies around us. And this constant increases has to, again, both Frida and jobs commence continuously eroded our competitive edge, and that is what is leading us into becoming a trading nation, not an industrializing nation. Thank you, Joe.
1: Thank you. My next question will be with regard to the public notice on the increase on the um, excise stamps that was published in January. And my next question will go to Robert, obviously being at East Park. It does a lot of uh, C for favorable tax regimes. And so the question is, the CS requested the stakeholders to submit their proposals by 3rd of February. So how does this look like? Does the government really listen when the public submits their proposals? And over to that, in the event that this proposal is uh, implemented, what recourse do we have the public or
3: rather. How can this proposal be overturned? Over to you, Robert? Thank you. Thank you very much for that question, Joe. And perhaps before I just address your co- two questions, just very briefly, I completely agree with Wamboi and Frida in terms of one has to take a long-term view and a broad view of the impact of some of these services. Because, for example, if you take beer, and then Frida perhaps it would be a better place to speak to this. But if you take beer, and there, especially the beer that is manufactured from sorghum, If you make the tax policy such that it becomes too expensive for the manufacturer and even for the consumer to consume it, then if you look at the backward linkages in terms of going to the agricultural space and what you're doing to those farmers in Western Kenya and Rift, and what have you, you are really impacting there by making the product out of reach. So I think it's useful to just take a broad view and see how best can we work with policy that supports the ideals of this new administration. But to your question then, Joe, in terms of, does government listen to the proposals? Yes, it does. In my experience, it does. And it is usually a very tough conversation because government will tell you, look, we're looking for money. Like now today, we know that they are looking for money. If you look at today's business daily, the depreciation of the Kenya shilling just tells you the kind of problems we are in terms of the level of debt of this country and what we need to repay. Noting, for example, that come June 2024, we'll need to repay the 2 billion euro bond loan that we had borrowed. So you can imagine the kind of impact. So government's view by default would be how do we increase revenues? And that's the reason why you see different kinds of proposals coming through in the finance act. A very good example being the increase in the introduction of 50 shillings, excess duty on SIM cards, just out of the blue, you're just trying to increase the number of things that are going to give you some tax revenues. So they do listen. However, they are operating from a very constrained environment in terms of How do you balance this budget? And I think, frankly speaking, part of the challenge in this country is not so much revenue raising, but how we expend this money. Because if we can reduce the level of expenditure, then the pressure to collect revenues correspondingly reduces. And it means that we can then have a sensible discussion in terms of the policy. And hopefully government can listen to that. But also because I was involved and job was in that meeting when we met the CS around this proposed increases in the stamp duty. I think we have got a design problem in terms of how we administer excess duty in this country. Part of the reason why this increment was necessitated is, surprisingly, care is subsidizing the price of these stamps. Apparently, the way the contract was negotiated in hard currency, I think it was negotiated in euros way back in 2017, I believe. And now if you look at the exchange rate for a euro today and then, that difference in exchange rate, that exchange loss it has to be financed somehow by somebody. And what I had in that meeting was government is out of pocket for about four and a half billion shillings in terms of the cost of these stamps. And so the question then was, who is going to pay for it? And that's the reason why they are pushing for this increment. I think we may have an opportunity as a country to review how that is administered and perhaps even to move to options of administering this access duty so that we can achieve those ideals. But I think, Joe, the fundamental issue here that we practitioners in tax have with these stamps is if you look at other taxes and the way they are administered. A good example is income tax. It's administered on ITAX. You and I don't pay for ITAX. We don't even bother with what revenue authority paid for that platform. All we know is that it's a tool for administration. Government is paying for it. And as taxpayers, we just use the tool. Same thing with Teams, although Teams is a bit of a challenge because the advantages that people had to get the tax invoice management devices for VAT. Perhaps a better example would be Customs, ICMS. Again, agents use the platform to process goods into the country, import and export, but we don't pay for that platform. So I think the question that we must be asking is yes, we're in a bind right now, but for sure, when we have an opportunity to revisit these platforms, How do we as a country come with a better solution that taxpayers are not paying for and that helps businesses to stay afloat? Because really, that is a fundamental problem. And government, in my view, should not be passing on that cost of the administrative tool to manage the tax. Joe? Just a bit, Robert. I think I wanted
0: to double click on that. I think you speak about very important issues. One also which this trade CS talked about this week is about consistency in terms of application of taxes and the predictability of it. And you can speak about it and when it comes to government and how that impacts, especially manufacturers, when you have an unpredictable kind of tax regime where you could wake up tomorrow and find an excess duty added on top of what you just paid last month or
3: something like that. Could you talk a bit about maybe predictability of tax and why that's important? Yeah, that's a good question, Eric, because World Bank, uh, some time back, did a study and the question was, what drives investments? As a country, we're always looking for foreign direct investment. So what makes an investor come and invest in in the country? And uh, interestingly, the tax rate is not an issue because everybody understands that when you operate in a country, some income, you have to pay the taxes and in compliance with the law. So tax is not an issue. The issue that businesses have is the predictability, what they call the tax stability, the stability of the tax regime. And so when you have a regime that, like you're saying, Eric, changes regularly, then you are at a loss as an investor. And Frida has given a very good example. If you look at the year 2022, especially for EABL, which has got a June year end, in June 2022, there was an increase in terms of the rates, effective 1st July. So then in October, you have an excess duty inflation. Then come the end of the year in June, you've got another change in terms of the rates. So it becomes very difficult for an investor to plan. For investors, all they want is their ability to plan their affairs so that they can price their products appropriately. They can figure out their production schedules and their acquisition of raw materials, for example, in terms of scheduling. The fundamental issue, and if you look at the national tax policy, what it's talking about is a stable tax environment. And other countries have done it. I like giving the example of Ethiopia. I was involved in the access regime change in Ethiopia in 2019. If you look at that regime, it hadn't changed for the last seven years. So everybody understood this is how we are going to account for the excess duty on our products. And if you are setting up a new business or a new plant to manufacture these products, then you understand what you're going to pay. However, you come to Kenya, you've got multiple changes, even in one year, not to mention the number of taxes that you're having to deal with. So that as a country, I think we need to really look at that and say, how do we implement or rejig our tax regime to ensure that we can support businesses with predictability. That's a magic word there in my view, predictability of the tax regime. And once everybody knows what they need to pay, then everybody will pay and we continue with our business. Eric? Yeah, thank you. And perhaps as we speak, there is one
0: maybe takeaway I took from one of the I think it was EABL and also BAT that talked about if you have high duties, they say, say in Kenya, especially for the border, they switch to the other country to actually go get their drink or their smoke from there. So I think that's something maybe one of us could speak about. But back to you, Joe. Thank you, Eric. And the next question would be for Prida. And is said uh, with
1: respect to the expected impact or effect of this increased excess terms and excess duty rates? So how do you foresee this affecting um, local farmers, especially those who rely on selling their produce to beer manufacturers? One, and when you talk about the illicit trade, how do you see this affecting the public in terms of health and social welfare? It's two questions. One, the impact to local farmers and two, the effect of illicit trade in the beer and the beverages industry to health and social welfare.
5: Thank you, Joe. And allow me to maybe just highlight something that and Robert have spoken to just before I move to the two questions, especially impact on the farmer and on the impact on the health. I think Eric just mentioned about and threw this to me about the borders. And this is definitely being evidenced at the borders. When you move closer to the borders, you'll find, for example, 20 kilometers into Kenya or 20 kilometers into Tanzania, Uganda, thereabouts. You'll find, for example, consumption of uh, alcoholic beverages from the bordering countries. And the big question begs, why is that? And... Definitely, we have to appreciate that what is happening in the other countries is, as Robert has put, is that they have not experienced the same increases that we have experienced on excise duty over the years. And maybe with some having just stagnated at the initial introductory level, for example, in Tanzania and Uganda, just with a few increases here and there over the time, with Tanzania stagnating at 5%. and. Uganda at four. So you find that with such, then if you compared beer at the border, the Kenyan beer definitely will trade at a higher price than a Tanzanian beer. And therefore, definitely, the consumer options will be to save what they can spend less at the border, definitely. And this has been, something that is currently we want to go into deeper studies and to see really the impact but initial outlook is showing that yes into the country 20 or more kilometers you find consumption of products from the neighboring country going into the farmers and just speaking about this a bit and which we highlighted in our recent results that half year results and the big question was around excise how has this yes definitely Impacted forward and backward alongside our value chains, and definitely a multiple increase in excise tax over the past, for example, if I can give it 18 or so months, has led to consumer prices definitely going up. And these have particularly impacted the price sensitive consumer products, being our member products definitely, that's alcoholic beverages, and name it, even going to cigarettes, going to TIX, etc water in the mainstream and also in the value segments, definitely. And the adverse impact on the volumes has, of course, denied government the expected revenue that they intended to collect, which has a compounded effect when you look at it on the livelihoods of the farmers and the small businesses that support the value chain. I'll give you an example. The farmers definitely will grow sorghum they have an expectation. They intend the past 18 months, the volumes that members were demanding purchasing at, they will plant or they'll plan ahead expecting that either the volumes would go up or would be at the same level. But when the demand for the raw material definitely goes or declines or the cost of also producing that sorghum goes up because, for example, of cost of input, some of which are impacted definitely by excise then that has a net impact on the farmer and what they'll generate as revenue. And when you go down, you'll find that has a net effect on how generally they live when you go to how their general outlook definitely. And what are we speaking to? I go back to, yes, who is the hustler here? Who is the common mananchi who is impacted? Definitely going back to that the farmer will have an impact. Look at their children, look at the general value chain and also the ecosystem around the farmer. A general, for example, that sells alcohol, you look at around that business, then there are many other businesses that spring up, be it a kinyozi, a salon, a car wash, and therefore when consumption has gone down, when volumes have been impacted, and therefore those people are not able to access the number of consumers and customers that they used to access in the past, that has a net impact on their general lives and the outlook of their lives, definitely. So when we want to discuss, for example, excise on beer, we need to go back and look at be it a mamamboga, be it a food kiosk, uh, be it a, a kinyozi. Uh, be it a car wash, and look at the whole ecosystem that comes with such a nature of a business, and how that will be impacted with an, by the increase in excise. Definitely, you won't find a similar ecosystem in an illicit pub, for example, or an illicit outlet, which we may not know about. Covering on the health and the impacts that this has on the health, and allow me to just say that, yeah, the objectives of the current taxation model should be well thought out and we are hopeful that the national tax policy will go into addressing some of these challenges that we have discussed, we are continuing to discuss during this call. So with inflation and a surge in taxes, of course, the consumers will continue to demand, for example, alcohol products, cheaper be or water beets whatever whichever other accessible product. And this then, of course, has a net infa- impact in leading to increase in consumption of illicit some are consumed knowingly or unknowingly. And when you take, for example, I don't know, maybe one time we can dedicate a chart on illicits and demonstrate some of the products. When you look at an illicit good or a product that, of course, either falls in the category of counterfeit it is, the, it is so appealing in the outlook. A consumer wouldn't tell apart which is the genuine and which one is not. And actually, sometimes. The artworks on the product are made in such a way that you cannot tell this is not a genuine product. And therefore, definitely they will rush and consume that. Some of human is generally drawn to what is appealing to the eye. And so, with going to consume what is appealing, they may and have a likelihood of also just going for an illicit product without knowing that this is an illicit product. So, this has definitely led to a negative impact on human health, Has will definitely challenge human health. And this calls for, again, the government just putting in place measures to enhance the enforcement, yeah, enforcement measures just to curb illicits. And this should really be an area of focus by the government at present just to enhance and secure their revenue. And also safeguard the citizens by assuring them that they are consuming quality products which have met the requisite public health standards so the net effect is definitely there and let's speak about them more often let's be loud about them and let's even dedicate time to just focus on this but as I've said when you look at even what the government is trying to curb right now closing off the bars going ahead to to say what we do not want sale at certain hours this is something that really needs to be looked at deeply, because you may impose a certain ban blanketly, but have you really as government looked into what is really the issue here? Are we now closing the genuine and going into promoting those that are not genuine, therefore being a harm to the health wellness of the buses, so that is I would say painting a picture on the impact generally on the health and the farmer. back to you, Joe.
1: Thank you, Frida. My next question will go to Wambui and uh, with respect to the retail sector, seeing the government as Frida has mentioned, trying to come up with a policy to limit the number of bars and clubs operating in a given area, also limiting the operating hours and uh, so on and so forth. When you compound this with the effect of increased excise duty rates and uh, excise stamp prices, what do you foresee to be the impact on the retail sector. And that will, can be from a wider perspective. Maybe you can mention in terms of its closing down in terms of lost employment opportunities and so on and so forth. Over to you, Wamboi. Thank
4: you, Joe. Again, reference to what everyone has said and the discussion around the Hustler Nation. I think the current government's envision of Hustler Nation is a nation that is all-inclusive. That gives everyone an opportunity to grow whatever little thing they're doing into something bigger. But just listening to Frida, and generally, if you look at the value chain backward, be it of the people packaging water, be it the people packaging juices, be it the people in the alcohol business or the people in the cigarette business. When you draw that line back to the farmer who then can't sell their sorghum because for all purposes, EABL is not able to buy all of it because now they have constrained capacity due to the investments and the he and the consumer reaction to price increases. I think it will defeat the purpose of growing that ASLA government. So it's important to look at how do we, yes, raise revenue for government, but at the same time ensure because one of their buzzwords was reduce the cost of living. Increases in tax are definitely not working. Towards decreasing the cost of living, forget the cost of doing business increasing. More importantly, it is not helping at all in reducing or improving the hustler's cost of living. Now, the issue of closing bars, I think is a political discussion. And this is why I say that we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot, because government is in the business of licensing and if you look the world over, cities and towns and villages are, in most cases, planned in such a way that you know where the bar, where the social centers are. We, as a country, have failed to implement our own laws. So we can say, yes, there is a problem with having a binary residential area. But whose fault is that? The fault is in the implementers, the people doing the licensing. So it becomes a thing that is truly not my fault. If I went and was given a license to open a bar next to a residential area, the fault lies squarely at the foot of government. So it compounds the already compounded situation of, I remember having a discussion with a bar owner and in the height of the closures, they were thinking of, let's just close and send everyone, totally close and send everyone. What does that do? That bears on government in terms of health, in terms of the economy, because you're closing businesses, you're denying people income, and that income includes the peers you are, the NF saving that the current government is talking about, leading again to a pull down of the economy. So the closing of the bars timed with the increase in, I'll walk you back to when alcohol blow was first implemented. And this is where our problem of bars in residential areas started. The bars that were in areas that, that had demarcated for that then suffered the impact of people walking away to the residential areas because you want to have, quote-unquote, minimum staggering distance was the talk there. Fast forward to now, the bars are back in the residential areas. We closed them. Losing rental income that, again, government benefits from. Losing an outlet of the products that have been manufactured, that have gone backwards towards the farmer who is producing or growing the sorghum. hampering the growth of the formal sector again. So if I cannot afford a beer in a retail outlet, and if I was being able to, because I also want to be compliant if I'm a drinker, so, I'll go to the residential and take two beers. Now, I can't go to the residential bar because one, I can't afford the beer. What do I do? Start having people illicit alcohol. And that illicit alcohol doesn't generate any income for the government. So, we are doing things that are not taking us forward, but are continuously taking us back in our trajectory to achieving our vision 2030 because. We are not for thinking. We are being very reactive. Yes, government needs money to meet the, their obligations, their money obligations. But there needs to be a balance that is sustainable. Taxing the same group of people consistently is not sustainable. It's the reason, for example, the flower industry has a lot of farms closing and moving to Egypt or to Ethiopia. It's a reason why a lot of our own manufacturers are setting up shop in our neighboring countries because it's cheaper to produce there and then import it back here as a trader. I keep saying government does listen to private sector. thing is they don't really hear. So we need to get to a point where they are listening and hearing and together find a solution to balance between the business interest and the government interest. And on the larger picture, the country and how do we move it forward? Thank you, Joe.
0: All right. We're almost drawing to the close of the discussion. I want to throw a few questions here and there. Now, so maybe we'd start with the one for Joe. You can talk a bit about the inflation Adjustment that happened last October and how often that usually takes place. May a bit of on, on that? And then I'll maybe ask either Job or Robert to maybe speak about in terms of trying to influence maybe the government proposal that how it'll uh, be put in terms of excess duty. At what stage are we now? And is it possible to put in the,
2: uh, in the public? Or... Thank you so much. So you have answered the question about annual inflation adjustment that is done. And we talked about it earlier that this was invented first of all, October 2020. Sponsoring, like now, to the non alcoholic beverages had an increment of 6.0%, about what three per liter. That's what was affected in 47.352. But that's just what one of the We have been lamenting on the annual inflation adjustments. We know, yes, comes in October. But uh, if you look, at the effects, the compounding effects to hands year on year. It's quite huge on the production. And I today have had a discussion with a company that left this country 2015, Kim Connick, asking the favorite questions around the excess, because they're in the food and beverage sector, and saying that's not a team when we have the inflation just being done after three years, or at least after three years. That we will be able to set our base again for value addition in the country and uh, various other conditions that we are putting, and also talking of the importance of having the national taxation policy that is looking at the excess tax regime. So this is meant to correct inflationary rates or the inflationary situation in the country, and uh, basically it is based on the annual inflation rate. That was registered one year before, like now, what was uh, implemented in October as a frequent adjustment. It is uh, the average between July 2021 and uh, June 2022. What is, or to make some sad, is that some of these measures that are being mostly the government tries to pull them so that they can correct revenue. But what it has been noted over time, and this has been demonstrated factually, this data. Is that the more you continue imposing like now the inflation adjust every year, the more the government is losing on its net revenues. And there's one rule that is called other capital. What it suggests is that the more you continue increasing like now on the excise duty, the inflation adjustment is being done every year, the more the consumers have an appetite for goods that are not, not passing through the excise duty. For instance, if you're talking about alcohol you find that the behavior appetite for alcohol that is coming from so, our neighbors' countries, and like when you're talking of Uganda, even to the Uganda is the most notorious case, as opposed to what is local, but so, functional, you find the government continue losing all this. And then after that loss, there are various other losses that come. For instance, when you're talking about uh, loss of investment, a of a company that uh, exited value at this base of manufacturing fucking base in the country 2015. There is loss of, of employment. There is loss of investors' confidence in the country. you find there is loss even on our forex because some of these, they set their base in the country for the purpose of exportation. But now they set their base in Egypt and then they're exporting back to the country. They're exporting to Kenya, whereas they're supposed to be doing the fucking Kenya. That means they exported our jobs and exported our investments in Egypt. So it has never brought good or positive effect as far as uh, the revenue intentions for the government are concerned. And what I would encourage is: can we have optimal excise regime, one that is not punitive to the private sector, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, the government is able to meet its objective, like now on the EAC trade. To meet a little bit of its objective, which is you know, is not supposed to be there for the world goal. That is the connection of revenues and, and many other targets on objectives that could be, could be falling in this. So, the aspect of having an optimized excise detail that is favorable to the private sector, but also is making the government meet it its objective. Uh, that's what we would really advocate for. But so also, besides the economic implementation of that inflation adjustment rates, we had the adjustment of the base rate of excise on the 1st of July, 2022. Again, now you're proposing another change in the excise stamps. terms. So, you find the compounding effect year on year is quite huge. If at all we continue with this increment instead of trying to stabilize the rate for a period of time. Actually, all right, Robert, maybe you can speak about
0: good steps ahead in maybe making impact in terms of the proposals that have been put out and where maybe people can put in their views and all.
3: Yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Eric. And just very briefly, as I answer that question and to Job's point, I think it's also important for people on the call to understand that the two types of exit duty there is ad valorem, and the specific ad valorem is tends as a percentage of the goods. And then specific is what we currently have in Kenya, where you say 142 shillings per litre of beer or something of the sort. And the reason why there is this then annual inflation is because the thinking and best practices that it does not grow with the growth in, in the prices of the products, whereas at valorem as a percentage is self-adjusting. But Nick job says we need to look for that sweet spot so that it's an, something that supports business and also supports the ideals of government. So that's what I wanted to say about the annual adjustments. The point around, yes, you people will be aware that we are now in the budget cycle. We expect the finance bill on 27th of April, 2023. And the government has started, or rather has received the comments from people. National Treasury is on which is leading this. And I understand that late next week, they will start listening to stakeholders in terms of what are your budget proposals. And so anybody who has got a proposal should consider submitting that to National Treasury because that's a policy making arm. And then as we go into the finance bill coming in, there'll be additional rounds of participation. National Assembly will call for participation. Once the finance bill is published, there'll be additional consultation between the stakeholders. So there's an opportunity, Eric. It's just that one needs to be on the lookout for those opportunities whenever that is, that is publicized. Thanks. All right. I think that we draw to a close. And there's a quick question
0: I wanted to ask if anyone of you has a nice response in terms of Price elasticity, like when they increase excess duties, say by 1%, has anyone done like a study to check out what the impact in terms of, if you translate that to consumer prices in terms of demand, how that impacts? Because I saw in the EABL results that the increase in excess duties, at least for last year, had quite an impact in terms of the volume. Not so sure if any of you has come across any statistic like that around Kenya. Anyone? No? That seems not. But it would be a nice one to maybe conduct as a study to just check out uh, how price sensitive the consumer really is, because it could be, it was revealed in the results. It's just that maybe we don't have like the final details you know. I don't see any questions from the public mostly. So maybe I'll give uh, you guys a chance to give us your closing thoughts. I'll start with the one boy. You can start off and then we can have Fida, Job, and then Robert in that order.
4: Thank you. I want to just to comment to what you're asking, whether anyone has done the study, and I'll tell you this. From a retail point of view, we have an extremely price sensitive consumer. One of the things that we've noted in retail post-COVID is that we have a smaller basket value, more frequent visit, but smaller basket value. So Whereas the average Kenyan would shop in a supermarket twice a, twice a month, they are now perhaps shopping three times but spending less because we are now shopping on a need-to-shop need basis. Traditionally, where you would have extremely high peaks at the end of the month, those are no longer there. We've also seen a spike in the informal sector in terms of the informal sector, i.e. your kiosks are growing faster than the formal retail sector. So where we say we are 30%, we've seen ourselves oscillate between 25 and 30%. And a lot of it has to do with that increased cost of living. And people's trying to stretch their little money as far well as they can. My appeal, and I think I lost a bit of your, the end of your question now, if you can repeat, I think you asked them. You
0: no, know, mostly it's about concluding thoughts and remarks. Maybe if you just speak to government directly, what would you be your case or at least what would you tell them? What do you want them to know as they formulate the next budget?
4: Remember I said that government listens, they just don't hear. We had a discussion with the outgoing commission Ro. He had a conversation with private sector about two weeks ago. And in the last seven years, if I said this during that meeting, in the last seven years, if anyone was to remove the minutes in the meetings held between private sector and carry, and there have been many, the minutes would say exactly the same thing with private sector presenting the same problems, carry giving the same commitments, but not really seeing those through. So my appeal is how do we work with government to help them raise the funds they need, but at the same time, ensure that businesses remain sustainable, to work together to implement the policies we have, because we have a lot of policies and regulations and laws that can really turn the tide on the illicit and counterfeit trade that goes on in this country. The will to enforce those laws remains a challenge. Uh, I know we all remember when a task force was put together and in like weeks, yeah, the anti counterfeit Authority had recovered more than they had in six years. So the, the political will to actually enforce those laws that will curb that particular sector so that they're able to generate income from the tax, the for lack of a better example, the stamps that are then getting lost because of that, to find a way to ensure that we don't have fake stamps as well. How do we work together to help them generate income, enforce the laws that benefit business, use that money to fill in the hole that we are filling by constantly focusing on the 2.3 or I think it's now this to a maximum of 4 million compliant people in a country of ten million. Let us sit together, listen and hear from each other how we can resolve the challenges facing our country. Thank you very All much.
0: All right, thank you. Fina, maybe you can speak next, but there is a quick comment here from Jeroge who says on the impact of excise, people used to do two to three beers on an average evening. Beer was 140 or 150 then. Now people drink whiskey and liquor, Mzinga. And there's an effect of the transition of the price of the drinks. Um, that's Njaroga speaking. To you, Fida, maybe you're concluding remarks and any thoughts on that?
5: I fully agree with that. Definitely, this has had an impact on the net consumption of our consumers of the products that we have as ABAC and even the rest for the KM members and Retrack. So you find consumer preferences changing, consumer tastes also changing depending on what their pockets can afford. So if it was... A bottle of beer. They move to something else, and that is how we've led to illicit. And just to highlight, I know you had asked earlier about what has been the impact of the cost of a product over the in- many increases or multiple increases in the excess. And I want to just mention and let you know, Jo, is that when you look at at times when these increases happen, there are moments that, of course, the manufacturer has to weigh and they see that they can't take price, for example, over the years. And I'll highlight, for example. The increases that have been or for the alcohol beverages over the year, for example, starting with seven when excess was 100 on a bottle for per litre, 100 shillings per litre, going to 105 in 2018, 111 in 2019, 2020 20 to 116. And in 2021, we experienced that going hiking to 122 and then a very steep hike up to where we are right now of 142. The same has been experienced for spirits. Starting five years ago, six years ago, 200 bob, now 356. I think, and that's why you'll experience what Mali Mungiroge is saying. So you'll find that what the manufacturer maybe may have considered earlier on taking price for some of these products, that cannot be experienced at the moment because then, for example, they are, they are taking on price or absorbing, for example, that internally, but without passing it on to the consumers, but now they have to pass it to the consumers. And the net effect over time is that the overall cost of that product then goes up. The burden of production has gone up and it's heightened. And I give an example of a hike in the excise terms, definitely this has a glaring risk on the cost of the product going up should should government gazette the excise tax regulations proposed as they are, as they had proposed them to be. That's a hike in up about 79 to 67%. And you look at some of the things that we are looking at at the moment with such like excise stamps is multiple government agencies coming in to authenticate or to vet the same thing or to regulate illicits. For example, in this case, being Kenya Revenue Authority, Cabs and ACA, all focusing on one product on levying, charging a cost to regulate their regulatory activities around illicit. And what that then has done or will do is an increase in the cost of that product. I like what the CS trade said recently, that he's focused on a super stamp. Yes. But the messaging here would be even that super stamp, when it is one stamp covering all the regulatory oversight on an excisable product, let the Cost of producing and the cost of enforcing be reasonable cost. Let it not be a measure to increase tax, but really to secure the revenue for the government, to curb illicits and to encourage healthy living and consumption of quality products and quality brands. And therefore, mine would be really to ask government to first take a pause at least, look at have they achieved all that they sought out to achieve? Where have there been leakages? How can they improve on collection through enhancement of collection and through better enforcement mechanisms? And how can they partner also with producers of genuine brands to really help in combing through the environment and ensuring that products that are consumed, be it wines, spirits, that these are genuine and healthy for the masses. So I would urge the government to take a pause. Yes, look at how to fill these gaps with increasing collecting from those who have been running away from excise tax. And also really rethink how do we spend excise really. And that is something that maybe I would urge even the rest of on a go-forward basis. We think and really speak about louder. How then are we spending this excise tax? Are we spending it for the social good that it was intended for? Or how is it being spent when it is collected? But really take a pause, rethink the whole tax model. Let's pass sound tax, national tax policy. And let's relook our collection. Adjusting excess duty every year because of inflation, what is contained in Section 10 of the Excess Duty Act, does not necessarily mean an increase in excess duty. The law, and I believe the drafters of the law were sober enough, they knew what they were doing. The wording in the law is adjusting. Adjusting does not mean increasing. So I think we need to go back and rethink the whole model around excise tax.
0: All right, thank you, Joe. Maybe next, you can give us your closing thoughts.
2: I would like to make reference to the principles of trade under the World Trade Organization. As far as the excise duty regime is concerned, this is something the government need to look into more keenly. Is the principle of promotion of fair competition? If you look at the excise stamp that is being proposed here. You find that for same units, we have different excise which So what to informs in this are We having a fair competition between similar products within the set, uh, so that we don't have a shift from one product to the other because of the increment on the cost of excise. So that's one principle that I would like the government to look at. When we are finalising the current budget cycle, culminating to the Finance Act 2023. The other thing is also on predictability of taxes. Uh, you find that we have arbitrary uh bit- a bit- a change on excellence duty. And now the standard that you're discussing, the, whose uh, deadline for submission of a feedback by the private sector was third of this month, that just came up arbitrarily. And it, it was well explained the reason why this has been put is because of the forex difference between 2017 and now. But why charge it on private sector arbitrarily without preparing their mind that from this date, this is going to happen. And the date that has been proposed for the change, you find that another date again, is a change on the power tariff and whatnot. Unpredictable costs that are being, that are being charged on the manufacturing in the private sector. And The other one is on the national treatment we have ever had uh instances whereby we have discrimination on excess duty between what is imported and what sometimes is local manufacture, And we uh, post as an ATB, if, for instance, at the EC level, you find that there is Islam discrimination that comes up. Again, what I was talking about now from the national perspective, similar products are sub units, but the excess term that is being charged for everybody is being adjusted becomes different. So those are some of the principles but it's this group that we're looking to and the government can give a fund on them so that we can enhance industrialization and enhance it in the countries. But more specifically, when we are doing the tax regime change, it's going to consider the cost of production because it's becoming too much for the producers. When we have excess change by 207% or 80%, no, no, that's too high for just one change. Or when we have effective change a year, but uh, uh, the, 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 the cumulative rate is probably more than 20%. Then, in fact, it's becoming quite punitive on the sector. Other things is now the economic dynamics. Are we aiming to generate revenues? Are we aiming to secure investment? Are we aiming to sustain the investment that are already there? And then, the other thing also to look into, uh, I plan that the government is going to look into again, is a tax burden. If you look at the effective tax rates per product from corporation tax to VAT, rates and duty to whatnot. It's quite high and it's uh, coming a big burden for the private sector. Even if there is there's hunger or there is desire to correct uh, these revenues, why can't we expand the tax base although that this tax burden is not being felt by five million owners uh, against a population of 50 million people? And then of great essence is public participation. Rather than to, to listen and you're not adopting, we are uh, yearning to be hard, like what was talking about. Let us be hard. And whatever we justify, whatever we present as fact based, let it be adopted so that we can have a win situation under the public participation window. Thank you so much. I don't think, Job, you raised a very
0: important point. It was my frustration, not unlike last year when they had the images, especially on inflation adjustment. What's We didn't try a lot to get our points across, but in the end, it feels like everything was ignored and passed as it was. I think people are adding to be hard. I think that's what a lot of investors and entrepreneurs are trying to say. So finally, Robert, maybe you can speak about maybe ways in which people can participate in the process of trying to be hard in that way. And also maybe just your concluding remarks
3: around this topic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for that, Eric. And a lot has been said this evening, and I completely agree with the sentiments of my panelists, my co-panelists. And I think for me, especially with regard to excess duty, because that was the topic of discussion tonight, as a country, we need to rethink and perhaps reflect on the regime that we're going to apply in terms of administration of excess duty in the country. Is the paper stamp the most appropriate tool to implement that tax? And if not, then what are our options and what what have other countries done that have gone ahead of us? So I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. In terms of public participation, it is a fundamental point and as many Kenyans as possible should indeed participate in this so that we have laws and policies that are well thought out, that are enriched by people's participations. The easiest way to participate is if you've got a memoranda, including via email, because those notices do have an email address at the National Treasury, submit your memoranda. I know for a fact that the National Assembly does receive all memoranda and I have been in those meetings and I've met Job and Wamboy and everybody else. And you'll be surprised, even individuals, for as long as you submit written memoranda, you are actually slated to come and have a day. You might be given 15 minutes, but at least you'll have your day. It's, all is not lost. Let's continue engaging. Let's continue providing results that we think can help this government. Because at the end of the day, it's a, the tax regime that we will be operating in. And we need to ensure that it's crafting one that can work for us. Thank you very much, Eric, for having me and for everybody else. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And when we sign off, I wish you all a good night. Eric? Joe? Let me can give you a closing thoughts. Yes, and mine is to thank uh, Mango Capital
1: for organizing yet another informative session on tax regimes, not to belabor what our speakers have said this evening. Mine is to call the government to put more effort in creating and enabling business environment other than increasing taxes. Thank you.
0: Uh, all right. Thank you all for joining us on Mango Spaces today. The discussion was really around excess duties and excess terms. Thanks to the informed panel that has been able to articulate the issues. I will hope to have you around again soon to discuss more as we go along. If you have any questions, you can keep PMing us. We'll send them straight to the panel and we'll be able to receive responses in that regard.